Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Oh my God, here we are, our third episode. I can't believe it. This is a milestone that, frankly, I wasn't sure we would ever reach. You know, back all those episodes ago when we started this thing, we were dreamers. We were just young passionate dreamers with the stars in our eyes thinking, ah, let's start a podcast. Why not? You know, so naive, ready to take on the world. And and here we are now grizzled vets of the podcast world. Uh, We've made it through uh, two whole episodes to to this, our third episode. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm weathered and worn, but I am the man I am today because of these trials and tribulations. And thank you so much to everyone who came along with us on this arduous journey uh, to the third episode. I appreciate it. And, but of course, hey, welcome to those of you that are new as well. You're important. You belong here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope that everyone will subscribe if you haven't already and tell a friend because that's what our advertising budget is right now. It consists of me telling you to tell a friend. So uh, before we get started today, I want to acknowledge the passing of uh, an amazing person. Uh, in fact, it's even in his name, the amazing Randy, who is a hero of mine. Uh, Randy was a legendary and, and record-breaking magician. He holds several records. Uh, and then later in life became a uh, an investigator who went after faith healers and other charlatans and exposed them as frauds. Uh, really cool stuff. But perhaps most impressive of all was his work with Alice Cooper. Uh, yeah, baby. When Alice Cooper was cutting his head off on stage, that was the Amazing Randy's work. Uh, so what an interesting life he's had. Um, he made it into his 90s. I think he was 92. So all my love to uh, to Randy's husband and to his many friends and fans all around the globe. He will certainly be missed. And he's had a incredible impact on the world, a impact for truth and and for goodness. So uh, today we are not talking to Wendy and Richard Penny as promised, but we will be talking to them. They are in the middle of a move, and uh, we agreed to put it off a couple of episodes. But don't worry, they'll be here. And today, you you if you're mad, you won't be after I tell you who we got. Oh my goodness, uh, another just giant in comics, uh, the great Keith Knight. But more on that on a minute. More That was an interesting sentence. More on that in a minute. Uh, I, I want to talk about comics. I love comics. And, and so Keith will be my first comic-related uh, guest. But we've got more comics-related guests coming up, and it will be a staple of this show. Um, I fell in love with comics when I was a kid, and we would go to the grocery store, and there was one old-fashioned little wire rack with comic books on it. And I think my my allowance at the time, I don't remember what it was, but it was uh, one Star Wars figure. I made enough in allowance in a week to buy a Star Wars figure a week. And comics were only like 75 cents or something. They were really cheap at the time, uh, although my dad couldn't even believe they were that much uh, compared to his day. And so I, uh, I went over and it it just seemed like a tie to another time. It seemed like an anachronism. And I I didn't understand who bought them, how they still existed, because no one I knew read them. And so I picked up Conan the Barbarian. And I remember it was such a cool episode. There was a werewolf in it. And it opened with Conan being like dragged across the desert, uh, encased in a bale of hay, you know, pretty uncomfortable. Um, and, And I was in love. And that's it. I would pick up comics whenever I went back. 
to the grocery store after that. I remember that the X-Men was another favorite. Uh, Wolverine certainly was cool. And then uh, we get up to junior high. And for the first time, I met other people who liked comics. And Cole Phillips, in particular, a good friend of mine, introduced me to the uh, ElfQuest. He had the ElfQuest big books. And that was it. Uh, we were in deep. And, and we even would do comics uh, of our own. He had Indiana Cole, and he put me in several of the comics. And then I would offer to put people in comics that I drew for like a buck. Like if you paid me a dollar, I'd put you in a comic and give you a copy of it. Uh, so we were very, very nerdy. And uh, moved up to Northern California, started buying the original uh, black and white ElfQuest issues the way they had originally been published by Warp Graphics at Denio's Auction in Roseville, California. Every week I'd go in and buy one issue almost to make it last. I, I maybe could buy two or three in a week, but no, one a week. It was special, something I looked forward to all week. Uh, since then, as an adult, oh my God, I've gotten into Scud, the disposable assassin. I love Allison Bechdel's work, Daniel Klaus, Chester Brown, uh, Jeffrey Brown. I'm a giant fan of, and Jeffrey actually will be a guest on the uh, podcast in coming weeks. Um, I can't not mention Los Bros Hernandez and Love and Rockets great stuff, Neil Gaiman and Sandman. And I'm actually really bugging my producer, Joe Honor, to check out uh, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, um, but all of Spiegelman's artsy, weird work, Robert Crumb. I could go on all day. Um, you see that I, I tend towards a lot of the independent stuff and, and the graphic novel stuff, not trying to be a snob. I love a good superhero comic as well. But what really grabbed my heart are these uh, independent artists, a lot of autobiographical work, Beautiful stuff, and, and it will definitely be represented here on the podcast, so I hope we have a lot of comic nerds out there. Um, we got to take a second and thank our sponsor, 800 Pound Gorilla Records. I love them. They just happen to also be the record label that I'm on. Uh, Katie Ellen Humphreys, Ladyfinger, is her album that is uh, taking pre-orders right now. So check that out and uh, go hit up their Instagram because it's every day they're posting really cool clips of comedians you've heard of and comedians that you haven't. And they'll turn you on to some good folks. And most importantly, go check out uh, Not For Rehire, a special that they uh, distribute that was done by a comedian named Keith Lowell Jensen. That may sound familiar to you. It's currently playing on Amazon Prime. Uh, go watch it there and then go over to Spotify because there's two bonus tracks that uh, aren't on the Prime uh, special that you can hear on Spotify. And uh, do me a favor, leave a review on that on Amazon Prime because the reviews are really helping out making a difference. Oh my God, that was a lot of housekeeping. I'm ready to get into this episode. I'm so excited. I sat down and I interviewed Keith Knight. Uh, going to play that interview for you now but first i'm going to tell you uh just how incredible keith knight is uh keith knight's the k chronicles won the harvey kurtzman award for best syndicated comic strip uh, the k chronicles also won the glyph awards for best comic strip multiple times including 2006 7 9 and 2010 in 2010 Keith was also presented with an Inkpot Award for career achievement at the San Diego Comic-Con, and he has a very cool first name. Uh, most recently, the show Woke, based on Keith's comics, debuted on Hulu. Keith, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be on uh, another uh, similar namesakes uh, podcast. Yes, Keith's of the world unite and take over. Uh, dude, you beat Doonesbury. How did that feel? Oh, you know what? It's one of those things where 
let's see, Doonesbury was is such a big comic strip um, that it was probably like, you know, they weren't even aware that they were nominated. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and, and I, yeah, I like it, it was by vote. So I actually super hustled. I was like, uh, I, I, I think it was right before you had to get in all the ballots. I went to a convention, MOCA, actually in New York, and I had a bunch of, I think, addressed envelopes, self-addressed and em- stamped envelopes. And I said, here, just go and vote. <laughs> just vote for me here and just get this in. Like, seriously, I, I, I don't <laughs> – people you know- always – People always say I should usually enter more contests, right? And, and I I always f- forget to do it. And that was like the one time I was like, okay, I'm going to enter this contest. But this was, you know, it was a bit of a fix. But <laughs> that's great. I love it. There are uh, there are comedians that do that kind of hustle. And what's funny is sometimes those other comedians will get mad at them, and then I'll step back for a minute and go, no, wait, that's they just outsmarted us. That's all. That's really cool. They're doing what they need to do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I, I got to tell you, like, if if there's one thing I admire a lot, like the one thing that that cartoonists don't have that comedians have, it's the like you do what we do, but you do it live in front of everybody, and like <laughs> that is like seriously, that is the the toughest thing to do. Well, and it's it, it's it's amazing because. Like I sit there and think you can get people mad very easily. You can you can make right. people cry generally pretty easy. But to make people <laughs> genuinely laugh is it's 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 amazing. And and that's why I think um, I think comedians turn out to be great actors. Like they always have right. that one film that they did. And like, oh, my goodness, I, I didn't know they had it in them. But if you can make someone laugh, you can do, you can just about do anything. I, I try to make them angry, cry, and laugh all at the same time if I can. Uh, but the truth is, if I could draw, I would do what you did. And I've tried. I've worked with two different uh, artists, illustrators. Um, it just hasn't quite <laughs> found that right match yet. What, well, what, what were you doing? Were you doing a strip or were you doing like a comic book? No, no we were doing a strip. We were doing like a regular. See, I'll here's, here, yeah, here's the thing, man. I don't, I, and I tell this all the time. Comics isn't about the drawing; it's about the writing. And frankly, I think if sometimes when you can't draw, it is actually better than if you can draw. <laughs> like the best cartoons, it's all about the writing. And if and if the artist is good, then then that's a, a bonus. But seriously, like you you would call Gary Larson like this brilliant uh, artist. True. But his style is his simple style. And then all the New Yorker cartoonists and stuff like that. Like there's something really you could take a stick figure as long as the writing's good and you just do all stick figures. I mean, look at um, what's the uh, The Internet one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can never remember what the letters are, but I love it. You're right. Yeah, stick I figures and it's so effective and well done. Yeah. All it's, right. It, oh, it's about just, the writing. You just came on my podcast and then killed all my interest in a podcast. Uh, Joe, producer <laughs> Joe, if you're listening, this is the last one. I'm a cartoonist now. I'm out of here. All right. Thank you so much. This has been Keith Knight. Um, Keith, before I talk to you about your current projects, I want to I want to go back a little bit. Uh, I did do a little bit of research, and I see you were born in uh, Malden, Massachusetts. 
Uh, how much yes. time did you spend in Malden? It says you were raised in the Boston area. Did yeah, no, I grew, I grew up in Malden. I was there until uh, until college. Um, and Malden is famous for a couple of things. It's famous for Converse All-Stars were invented there. Converse nice. All-Stars. Yeah. And then um, Killer Kowalski had a wrestling school. Killer Kowalski <laughs> was an old school wrestler from the 70s, I think 60s and 70s. And um, so uh, he had a wrestling school. And also Jack Alberton from Chico and the Man. And the original uncle from uh, the uncle from the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh so, wow! Yeah. So you could have ended up being a professional wrestler instead of a cartoonist. <laughs> One of the guys I went to school with ended up becoming a professional wrestler. So oh, that's amazing! Yeah. Uh, so uh, where you grew up was it more uh, rural? Because I, I see you write in uh, K Chronicles about bringing snakes in the house and things like that. Oh no, no! It wasn't rural, but there were, you know, there were there were snakes. <laughs> you know, there was still snakes. We we would go looking for snakes um, and salamanders and uh, crawfish. Actually, crawfish at the pond near the local golf course. So yeah, this sounds so Andy Griffith to me. You know, where I'm going to go out and hustle up some crawdads. <laughs> no, I mean it. It, it was definitely. It's funny because I guess it's all relative, right? Like we we grew up in a small town. It was working class. So, you know, we were all broke, um, but it was on the orange line. So you could get into Boston very easily. It was not far from Boston. So it was definitely working class. So, you know, it definitely wasn't the sticks, but it definitely wasn't like the hard, hardcore urban environment. But um, right. I just I just know when I moved out to California, it wasn't until I moved to, to L.A., actually. And whenever I'd meet someone from Massachusetts, I'd be like, oh, oh I, I hear your accent. You're from Massachusetts, too. Uh, where are you from? They'd say something. And I, they'd say, where are you from? I said, Malden. And they would always always pause and go, huh, I used to get beat up in Malden. <laughs> so apparently, like, like apparently to everyone else, like Malden is a super rough place. Well, sure, and, uh, professional wrestlers come from there. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, so like, I, I had, I suddenly had street credibility that I never knew I had. So. Oh, that's great. So, when you were a teenager, you were saying Boston was nearby. Were you, you know, is that where you got into like punk rock and uh, going to live shows? Where you first got uh, maybe exposed to kind of indie culture? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was everything. It wasn't just punk rock. It was like, you know, it was what little hip hop was going on there, what little, uh, just, um, for, for underage, like the underage shows, there wasn't much of anything, but I remember super long time ago, like when we were, it must've been high school, but there were two concerts that we saw, which was run DMC and Madonna came. Oh, wow. And I I think it it might've been together. I'm not totally sure, but, um, but we just remember seeing that like super like, wow, this is really interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was it, it, some really, really cool stuff that went down back in the day. But uh, um, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> I'm, I'm actually mining that type of stuff because uh, I'm, I'm working on my ever gestating graphic novel. I was I was a teenage Michael Jackson. <laughs> it's, it's on my list to ask you about. Yeah, and um, so when when I get in the when I'm working on that, I like to 
like go back to those days, like to the to the eighties, and I go down right. the rabbit, rabbit hole, and it's great. It's a fun YouTube rabbit hole that is uh, uh, pretty neat. But I what digress. Are, what were you like in high school? I was uh, I was a, a very skinny, uh, nerdy kid who probably would have got beat up more if I didn't draw all the time. Yeah. Okay. So I was drawing and I sort of got back at everybody by drawing them in my comic strips and (laughs) making them look silly, but they, everybody was just really happy to be in the comic strip. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, really, you're not going to kick my ass right now. And, uh, I realized that it was like, Oh, okay. If I can make this a job, (laughs) this this would be a good job to have. Were you the one black kid? No, no, I was not. Um, you know, we, um, let's see, I remember the census in 1980. I think there were 55,000 white people and 1000 black people. So there was one black person to every 55, um, white people. And, um, and, you know, we were in the black uh, part of town. So I, okay. I had, yeah, yeah, I, I was not the one black kid. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like that when we went to, well, one of two, me and my sister went to a school from fourth to sixth grade. And um, it was a school where all we did were puppet shows and plays. Oh, and like all this sounds creative. like my kind of school. Oh, it was a great school. It was really fun. And I, I, I that was my best uh, educational experience, definitely by far. So for, for anyone listening uh, who doesn't who isn't familiar with it, I'm referring to one of your comics, The One Black Kid. Uh, at one time, your best selling print. Is that still true? Um, <laughs> there's a um, cuckoo clock in the background. I apologize. I love it. Um <laughs> It's it's one of them. It's hard to say now. It's not my best-selling print online, but that's the one where it has to be at a convention. Like when people read okay. it at a convention, they get it. But online, now my best-selling print, it's hard to say. My best-selling print is either James Baldwin or Maya Angelou. Those two portraits are Makes my sense. Best. Yeah. 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 Um, tell me about the one black kid, though. Why, why do you think that that resonated with people so much? Um, mainly because, I mean, it's it's all the little microaggressions that one right. experiences coming up. So, you know, that one black kid who wasn't into hip hop in high school, that one black kid whose uh, hair people want to touch all the time, that one black kid who gets told they're not really black. Like, those are all things that have happened to me and have happened to my friends. And, right. and I just knew that it would resonate. And I, I, you know, I've talked about this again, it could be that one Latino kid. It could be that one gay kid. Sure. Could, yeah. That, like it, it would totally fly in so many different ways. So yeah. It's definitely one of my uh, earliest roommates was a black goth. Oh, wow. And he had straightened hair and he wore a leather jacket with Christian death written across the back. And, uh, him and I were talking recently about going out to the coffee shops and we would have the sharps, you know, the skinheads against racial prejudice and they would form a queue to shake his hand. They were literally like wait in line to shake his hand and say hi to him just because he was their chance. He was one of the only black people in the punk scene in Sacramento at the time. And it was like, Oh, 
let's go prove we're not racist. <laughs> <laughs> Have and you I, ever seen that documentary, Afropunk? You know, I, I haven't watched it yet. I've like watched the trailer to it. Yeah, yeah, that's it's definitely, um, yeah, definitely uh, uh, a great representation of sort of the experience of yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 an interesting uh, perspective, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely found myself in those those type of situations. But I, I I didn't I didn't necessarily run in the punk scene. I just bounced around where. Right. You know, the kids I knew, you know, the kids I knew from the art school that I went to were, you know, into punk rock. And then the kids that I was going to junior high school were into hip hop, you know. And so it was just a mixture of, of both, both those things. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I'm just a little bit younger than you. And I think for our generation, there was actually a lot of that because the scenes really kind of mixed together where you had. I mean, I talk to people just a little bit older and, and it's like, no, you didn't listen to punk and heavy metal. <laughs> I was like, we did and hip hop too. And, you know, it was, uh, I don't know. I felt like there was more of a, a melting pot in that sort of alternative culture. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's because at least for me, it was listening to college radio, even as a little sure. kid, like, um, what was MIT's radio station? MIT had a great radio station. Um, and then Berkeley College of Music had a radio station. Oh, God, I can imagine. Yeah. And they would just, they were, you know, they'd play hip hop on some nights. And then, like, you know, I, you'd leave it on the radio station. And I just loved hearing music that you weren't going to hear on the pop stations, you know? I love sure. just going, like, wow, like, this would never fly on this state, you know, on these other stations. And, um, I just really dug that stuff. And, and to this day, uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't like listening to Spotify or, or any of the stuff that's gonna, um, use algorithms to give me my, my selection. I, I like finding a good DJ that is turning me on to stuff, you know? Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's so I, 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 I li- I'll watch Questlove, like Questlove does these great things where he just spins music and tells stories. And um, yeah, just find me a good DJ and uh, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. Amen. Quick. Uh, well, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, but it did not work. <laughs> Sorry about that. Gonna... Yeah, the little Do Not Disturb button is still lit up too. Weird. All right. Sorry about that. Um, let me ask about... Uh, get into your comics here you've got the k chronicles and think and uh i first discovered you when i found a compilation called uh, road strips and it was all um graphic novel style stories about road tripping yeah, yeah. um and then i became a big fan of, of k chronicles and then later got introduced to think uh which came first uh the k chronicles is the franchise that's like the um I've been doing that. Like I literally came up with the name, the K Chronicles in college. And, um, even though I was doing more of a daily type of strip then, but, um, but it, it just stuck. And, um, so I've been doing that for (laughs) 30, 30 plus years probably. Um, and then think came about 
probably about 10 years after I was living in San Francisco. And um, Explain the difference. K Chronicles is sort of a, a it's my auto semi autobiographical comic strip, and it's it's really a diary strip. It's it, I write about whatever's on my mind really, and um, and so like it's it's a great you know these past thirty years of doing it is just a great sort of recording of everything, my thoughts and my trips and sort of all the things that uh, that interested me over the past 30 years. Now, Think is my socio-political single panel. And um, I was essentially asked to do a second strip 10 years after moving to San Francisco by Africana.com. And I didn't want to do another autobio. I didn't want to do a multi-panel. I wanted to do a single panel, take it from the news. So I came up with Think. And what I like about Think is it allows me, to, if I have these ideas that I can't flesh out into a whole K Chronicles, I could just do these quickies. And, um, right, because there and, are politics present in K Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, K Chronicles, like when someone says, oh, okay, if, you know, if I'm just coming to your work, what's the first book you want to give, uh, you know, you, you want me to read? And I'll give them the K Chronicles, because the K Chronicles encapsulates everything, autobio political stuff, humor stuff, all that stuff. If they just want straight humor, I'll give them the nightlife collection of the nightlife, which is my daily that I stopped doing last year. Um, and then if they, if they're into politics and stuff like that, then I'll, I'll, I'll turn them on to think it's funny about think because, uh, yeah, there are people who just prefer single panels. Right. And whenever I go to New York, I'm just surprised at how, uh, sophisticated the kids are like <laughs> they, like their parents are buying think books like they're looking at think books and they got these young kids there and huh. um, and they're like you know saying what about this one and and then I say well you know uh, they they might like this this humor one over there and they're like no no um, my, my my eight-year-old is into uh, Middle East politics like <laughs> it's just <laughs> stuff like that and it's like oh yeah I'm in New York I forgot <laughs> yeah, that, that's a weird thing. I've got an eleven-year-old. We're not in New York, but I'm I'm amazed at uh, what she's into and, and the politics that she's aware, uh, aware of and interested in. Um, mm. You know, good. Good. I like this generation that <laughs> is going to have to save us because we left them. I <laughs> uh, know, high and dry, right? Yeah. Here you go, kids. Hope you can make it. We're, we're dependent on you. <laughs> So you started the K Chronicles and Think from San Francisco. Is it, did you end up in San Francisco for college? No, no. Um, I, I drove to San Francisco after college. Well, now, okay. again, the K Chronicles, I, I did do in my college newspaper, but it just was not the format that okay. it is now. And what happened was I was working uh, as a caricature artist in Faneuil Hall in Boston all through my um, college years. And, oh wow! Yeah, we had this great illustrator, um, Dale Stefanos. Uh, if you look him up; he's amazing. But uh, he always got the best gigs um, on the road for the caricature company we worked for because he was just so good. So he got a gig in San Francisco, and he came back from San Francisco, and he just he just said, "Hey man, you've got to go to San Francisco." Oh wow! <laughs> I was like, "How go?" He's like, "It's like." It's like a big Harvard Square. 
<laughs> that's that's oh, wow. how we described it. And so, you know, that's where I used to always hang in, in high school. And uh, I mean, in college was Harvard Square. So, um, so I was like, all right. So I worked like crazy the summer after college and just jumped in a car with a couple of other uh, guys from my college and just drove out to San Francisco and never looked back. And, that's um, great. And, and the thing is, like, I looked at it as my graduate school. My plan was to go okay. to San Francisco for five years, learn everything I needed to learn, and then go down to L.A. and develop something for television. That did not happen. Um, <laughs> How long San, were you in San Francisco? 16 years. 16 okay. years. It was uh, such an amazing time. And it was just like I had just found sort of my spot, you know, and it was, yeah, yeah it was just right. so cool. It's an amazing city. It really is. And and what a rich history for cartoonists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's how the K Chronicles got to be what it was, which is I discovered so the, the industry and the underground, uh, the, the legacy of underground comics, and then just all these alternative weeklies and magazines that were running all these great comics. Um, two cartoonists that really stood out to me were Nina Paley um, and Jaime Crespo. And they were basically doing their version of the Kate Chronicles. So Nina Paley okay. was doing autobio stuff about feminism and about like, she was like totally into biking and anti-car and all this stuff. And, and then Jaime was doing cartoons about like being a janitor at a single room occupancy hotel in the Tenderloin. Oh so my he God. was, yeah, he was just telling these great stories of like CD back alley stuff. <laughs> And I just loved it. I was like, oh, man, like this is the stuff I want to be doing is, is writing uh, comics, of, uh, you know, just about these stories. And each one of them, you know, for her, it was feminism for about women. And, and for him, it was uh, Latino culture. It's like, you know, I want to do that uh, for black culture. And so, yeah, um, I think the first cartoon that I got in San Francisco that I was paid for was a review of a a hip hop show at, um, at the I beam, this old school um, yeah. club. Yeah. And I just remember some guy climbing up like a pole outside of the club and he was up on this, it, we, the club was on the second floor and he was outside the window of the bathroom I was in. And he was like, Hey, hey man, Hey man, can you, can you open this? Can you <laughs> take this screen off? I was like, no, I'm not going to take the screen off. But I put that in the comic strip, and people loved it. People loved that sort of personal experience. So, All right. Um, yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, this works. I'll do this. Very cool. Yeah. So now I want to talk to you about your, your drawing technique as well. Is it is it really a single Sharpie? Uh, how do you go from, you know, starting your sketch to, to your finished drawing? Well, I, def I pencil it out first. You um, do? Okay. Yeah, I pencil it out first. And then I use a micron, a number eight micron pigment marker. And, um, and then I do the outside of it with a Sharpie. But, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. We, we sort of generalized it for the, you know, everything in the, in the TV show is very <laughs> simplified just for, sure. you know. For those folks out there who uh, are, are not don't know anything about cartooning, so. And then, how much is the computer involved? Is it just a scan in the finished product, or do you do some uh, cleanup? Yeah, yeah, I, I clean it up on um, 
skin it in Photoshop and clean it up and then and then color it online. So um, it's definitely and, and because, you know, the, the technology exists, it, you, you're just not as careful as you once was back in the day. <laughs> it's right. Just like, it's just like, yeah, I'll just fix this in Photoshop. That's all right. Well, yeah, after this many years, I mean, you've seen that technology change and become a lot more accessible. Oh, certainly so. Like, uh, you know, I did a talk to a bunch of um, cartoonists uh, just last week, actually. And they were just like, they were asking me, like, how have you made, how have you managed to survive from mailing your comics to newspapers to, you know, like to having a website, you know, having the internet destroy newspapers to, you know, all the way up until getting a TV show. And I think it's, I think it's because of, uh, it's the title of, of, I think my second or third thing collection, too small to fail. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> it's like, I, I never made that much money. So it, it's not like I, I've always been relatively, um, cheap <laughs> and, and just, able to sort of make it work uh, up until, you know, up until I made it huge, which um, hopefully I'm in the, in the middle of doing that right now. We'll see. We'll see. Right. Yeah. That's, I, I look at that with a lot of artists that I admire. I mean, even someone as big as like Bob Dylan, you, you see that point where he had so much pressure on him and I think, Oh my God, he was an in industry. Like he had other people feeding their kids based off of his records. Oh, what a lot of pressure for someone that was like, oh, I want to sing folk songs in cafes. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, I think with success can come a lot of uh, pressure to continue that success. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think that was one of the most humbling things about when I got to Vancouver to shoot the show um, was where like the whole base of operations and how like just walking around this warehouse and seeing all the people that are employed just because of your little drawings, you know, right? it's, it's, yeah. it's humbling, but it's also gratifying, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. All right. You know, I'm, I'm providing work, <laughs> work yeah. for a lot of people. So it's, it's, it's really kind of cool. That's great. Uh, I, I got a couple more things I want to ask you about before we get into the show. I am excited to talk to you about the show. Uh, but you contributed to Mad Magazine, and I have to tell you, that is, Mad Magazine is like the pinnacle of cultural achievement for me. I'm so sad that it's gone. Cried it, when it was gone. Cried the day that they accepted ads. I'm literally that Mad fan who wrote a letter to my local weekly to describe what happened to my beloved Mad Magazine when they decided to start carrying paid advertising, how my childhood was dead. <laughs> so, uh, I was uh, really, really impressed at, at hearing you got to work for Mad Magazine, and I'm wondering what that was like for you, if you had been a big fan, if it meant a lot to you. Oh, totally, totally. I feel like Mad Magazine is like the first dirty book that you get. Um, this always like <laughs> some trouble kid who goes, Hey, you want to see something? And, um, so yeah, it, it, it definitely meant a lot like, there's three things that you, that as a cartoonist, that at least for me, there were three things, which is do a daily cartoon, 
uh, get into Mad Magazine and get into The New Yorker. Oh, no, four things. And then have an animated uh, uh, Christmas special. That was it. Oh, nice. <laughs> the other one was an animated Christmas special. So oh, I'm, I'm, I've that. achieved three of the four. But uh, a TV show is not, not, not so not uh, a bad second runner-up to an animated Christmas special. But no, 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 no. You are not. That one is still on your list, and it is still ahead of you. I will. I will kick in for the Kickstarter. I have a good <laughs> Christmas story too. A really good Christmas story, but I think it might work as a live action than as an animated thing. But um, <laughs> I'm going to have to try and talk you out of that, Keith. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, <laughs> you know. I love. I love the animated Christmas specials. I look forward to them every year. I can watch them whenever I want now, and I won't. And, and I also won't let my daughter. I better not catch her sneaking Christmas specials in September. We watch Christmas specials in December. That is the way to do it. That is. Yeah. The way. I mean, that's that's the thing, man. It's um, that's why football will never work. Uh, a second, like a second league of football, will never work. And because, like sports and all this stuff. They, they they have their place like when you, when fall rolls around is when football rolls around you know it's part of our seasonal calendar yeah exactly exactly it's like i mean that's why i really like living out here in um north carolina in the farmer's market because you know blueberries come around and then they're gone right <laughs> it's just like and then you just you'll be psyched when they come next year, you know, and um, I think we have to get back to sort of not having access to everything all the time, you know. For and sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so having access and watching, you know, Christmas specials in the middle of the summer is just uh, it's I'm sorry. It, it's it's they haven't done studies for it, but I'm sure there's been some, some psychological damage done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that uh, that brings me to my next question, though. How the hell did you end up in North Carolina? Um, it's interesting. Not that one coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, the first slideshow I did with my cartoons um, outside of the Bay Area was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I was just I was really excited because I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'd never been to the South before other than. Disney World in Florida and New Orleans, okay. which is its own country in and of itself. So this oh, was yeah. New, New Orleans is wild. Yeah. Yeah. So so this was like the first time I would actually go to the South South. And you have all these, mis, you know, this these preconceptions. I shouldn't say misconceptions, preconceptions about what the South is. And I, and I just came here and the place was cool and I had a really good time. And I, you know, walk around campus and. Doing, and I was like, oh my goodness, like, this is actually, and I, you know, I was looking at like prices to, to live here and everything. I was like, oh my God, this is nothing, especially coming from California, right? Right. So I was like, if I ever have a wife and kids, like, this is where I want to move. And, um, and between that time and now, and my mom moved from, from Massachusetts down to South Carolina, I was not going to move to South Carolina. Right. But um, and my wife's German. She wanted to be closer to her parents. And we had been on the West Coast forever. So um, it, it came down to us having two kids living in a tiny little apartment in Los Angeles and going, you know what? Like I can do my job anywhere. 
why don't we go someplace we can afford, you know? And all it needed to do was have a Waldorf school uh, nearby, and which we have here, even though we didn't end up going there. But um, but <laughs> that that was it. And and again, I just I, I flew out here. I looked around and found a spot, and and we came here. And I didn't get my TV deal until I moved out here. Oh, um, that's so funny. Yeah, because so uh, so many people said, "Don't move. You don't know what's going to happen." Like, uh, right. You know, it, success could be just around the corner, and then you blink your eyes, and two decades have gone by, right? You, <laughs> you just find yourself like someplace for twenty years, and nothing's happened. So, I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've met everybody I needed to meet. Um, right. You know, I got people trying to work for me. I actually think that because I left, to put a fire under their asses. To, yeah, because I think they were like, "Oh man, he really did leave," <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so uh, yeah, so it, it it turned out to be it turned out to be really good. Like you know, I was able to buy a house on cartoon money, which is right. pretty insane. So there, well, that's great. And you know, I, I mean, I asked that question like, how how did that happen? But I also understand I have little special places, little little blue dots in red country that I feel that way about uh, Springfield, Missouri. What a lovely little town. I could totally live there. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. I mean, all I these, like, they, I look they, at the, the housing prices and I'm like, Oh yeah. <laughs> all these big cities. I mean, we, we looked around a bunch of different places. We, we came up to Portland and looked in Portland. Yeah. We actually visited at schools and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. There was something about it that we, <laughs> I think it was probably the grayness of it, but also the, the sort of um, white supremacy thing going on. <laughs> but uh, oh, the way that they just target Portland from all the areas around Portland. Uh, yeah, but I mean, just, they just love to flood into there because they know they're going to find a fight. But also the history of Oregon and of Portland. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, yeah. Like that, that was that was an issue with with me and. Here's what I will say. People always say, oh, my goodness, I love you to move to the South. I've learned more about the the black experience in America by moving here and, and sort of doing the research on on Wilmington, North Carolina, like the coup that happened there and Stagville Plantation and all these different places. Like, right. It's it's you know, it, it's it's better to know all this stuff than it than not know all this stuff. And America is starting to really understand that. Um, I think like I go around and do these slideshows, my slideshows on racial literacy and how little we're taught about anything. And and I explain like, you know, police officers are just doing what they were, what they were invented to to do. Like police, police officers came from slave patrols and slave patrols were poor whites hired to keep the black communities um, from from taking off, um, like you know, they would catch runaway slaves. They they kept them in order and all this different stuff. And seriously, like that's what I mean. The Department of Justice said it about the Ferguson Police Department and the Baltimore Police Department. That mainly what they do is nickel and dime poor black and brown communities and keep them caught up in the justice system. And um, that is this it's no different today than it was you know 200 years ago so amen yeah what uh what would your neighbors there in north carolina say though if they knew 
that you had performed naked at the Fillmore? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to out you. I mean, I did just put it in a podcast. I don't know if we have any listeners in North Carolina, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, there's a few that probably wouldn't be surprised. I, you'd be surprised <laughs> at how, like where I live is there's a bunch of really, there's cool musicians, filmmakers. Nice. There's even a guy who draws, um, not of draws, but writes comic books two doors down. Oh, and very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and one of the musicians, um, Southern culture on the skids, do you know the bands? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The lead singer, those around the corner from us. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you'd be surprised at like the amount of like just artists and musicians and, and stuff. We, we live in the town that's right. It's called, called Carborough. It's right next to, um, Chapel Hill and it's where all the professors and the artists live. And it's just, it's a funky place. It, it, there's a great, um, obviously it's closed now, but Cat's Cradle is like a, a, a music spot that um, a lot of touring bands that can't sell out thousand seaters, they go to Cat's Cradle. And Somebody uh, recorded a live album at the Cat's Cradle. Probably, yeah. yeah. Like more than a few. And uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know I've seen it on album covers before. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, so, but... You know, that was my cheap way of getting into real quick because I'm, I'm way behind schedule and talking to you about Woke. Uh, you were uh, half of the Marginal Profits? I was half of the Marginal Profits, yes. And, uh, and is the Marginal Profits done now that you've moved to North Carolina or just on hiatus? The Marginal Profits was done <laughs> even when I was buying my reunion show in 2012. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and I... I I blew out my Achilles like on the last song, <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing: like it's it's done, but it's never done, right? For sure. Like, if if you know if COVID didn't happen, we would have had some sort of event in um, in San Francisco, and I definitely would have played a show there. You know, there would have been yeah. a public screening. It would have been really fun. You know, it was just it, there's a lot of stuff that is lost in this, in this COVID, uh, time, but you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll get past it. Hopefully we'll get past it. And, and how did you end up performing naked? Oh, it was for charity. It was for children's charity. <laughs> <laughs> See, here's this thing is, um, uh, <laughs> it's funny is this SF Bay guardian, um, would have this charity thing called live nude bands every year. And, the thing is, it, it, not everyone was is supposed to be nude. It's like supposedly the bands there all like you participate in a spelling bee, a tug of war, um, a few other different games, and whoever loses has to play naked. Okay. But everybody gets on the bill to play naked. So right, right. <laughs> you know, we were, you know, we were just psyched to do it, and um, and but the thing is, we did lose a tug of war to like. You know, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, we expected to be a band full of women, but <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting there and I'm like, why is this so hard? Like, why? Like, you know, when, you know, we're not big guys, but like, why are we getting our, our, our butts kicked? And, um, <laughs> and then I saw the video and it turned out like all of these people <laughs> had 
had grabbed the rope from around the corner and they were like it was like oh. 30 people versus like four guys and we just but it, but all you could see was across from us was you know like you know three or four women and we're like man like you know <laughs> i'm not being sexist here but why are we losing this badly <laughs> right right not just losing but really losing yeah yeah be flattered <laughs> that that many people wanted to see you naked, Keith. <laughs> there you go. I think there you if go. I were in that contest, it'd be the opposite. Everybody would be over there helping me. Like, no, this guy can't lose. <laughs> well, the best thing was is my twin sister said, you know, I thought I would be the first one online naked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so it is online. Thank you for that tip. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, go get sleuthing. <laughs> the concert's not, but, but definitely there might be a – well, I, I don't. Um, the photo probably isn't anymore, but because it's a long time right. ago. But Joe, but you can Joe my producer, go. Yeah, never mind the, the photo that Keith sent us. Please go see if you can find that one. That's how we'll promote <laughs> this episode. Um, all right. So woke. Wow. I mean, I was so excited to see this happening. Having been a fan of yours for a long time, um, what's so funny about this podcast is it's starting off with the very short list of the only four or five people I've ever written fan letters to in my life. And you were one of them. And you were really cool and wrote back and, and we became Facebook friends. So then to watch Woke happen for you, that's just amazing. And, and I saw a comic where you said that you <laughs> let the cuckoo clock finish. I saw a comic where you said you planned to get a TV show. It, it's actually only a surprise for you that it happened as well as it did. Well, so what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the huge thing to me is like, I mean, again, years and years ago, I had my comic developed into a live action short film by a German filmmaker. Um, Which I could not find online anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But I also don't read German. So, but yeah, it, it 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 happened so long ago, and but I just saw it translate so well to German, and um, I was like, yeah, like this works, this totally works. And you know, at first I thought it would, I would develop something that would be animated. But um, Tom Gamble, who uh, is this amazing comedy writer and also a cartoonist. Um, he was sort of like my mentor down in L.A. And he just said to me, he said, Keith, you said you may want to try to sell a show that's live action and not animation. Because at the time we were talking, he said there's probably about six places, five or six places that will buy anima- an animated show. But there's about 30 or 40 places that will buy a live action show. Gotcha. So so I just moved forward like that. And I thought it was that was such great advice. And um And I I don't know, it's just like to think that we would get the actors that we got involved and that we would have all these amazing voices like Cedric the Entertainer and Nicole Byer and Keith David. Like it it just all came together. Stanley Clark, uh, the musician, like he he's the one who composed the music for the show. And so many great things just came together. And uh, I was just like man, this is, I mean, this is great, but, um, yeah, I just consider myself really, really fortunate. Um, that's all. We all do the thing where we say, oh, well, who would play you in the story of your life? And then we all flatter ourselves. But 
uh, holy shit, you've got Lamorne Morris playing you. That's a handsome dude to have playing you. Was that was that a relief? <laughs> I, it, it was. It was just really nice that he re, he he said when he first read the script, he was like, "That's me." He's like, "That's yeah. me." Like, I I got to get this role, and so and, he, and he's perfect in the role. Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, like just every. I think everybody's perfect. Like, like we were. The hardest to cast was Gunther because we were getting people that came off really great as stoners, but like, right. but no, there's, they, they either came off, they were too creepy or they were like, I don't know, just, and when we heard that Blake Anderson was interested, we were like, man, that's amazing, but we'll never get him. We just kept on saying, we'll, right, never, right. we'll never get him. And so the fact that he showed up and, and then Clovis, uh, T-Birth, like Clovis, you know, in the strip, he's a bigger guy with dreads and everything. And then T-Birth right. comes in, this tiny little guy, but he had, you know, his his beard is as big as his personality. And, <laughs> right. And I just remember uh, my wife, Kirsten, going like, yeah, that's the, that's the guy, you know, and um yeah, so just all that stuff just came together, and we're just so fortunate. And how much is uh, Lamorne interpreting the character himself, and how much is he trying to play you? Did he, like, hang out with you, eat your food, sleep in your bed? Like, what did he do? I mean, we, we didn't hang, hang out with a whole lot, but um, I, I think he said in, in an interview that Mo Marable, the director, just said, we're not looking for a straight impression um right but you know just just try to sort of you know check him out like <laughs> just watch him and try to kind of yeah I, I yeah i don't know i just remember sitting with him in the hotel and just saying hey man like um i, I because i because my concern was um that like this the, the my concern was just letting him know that he may not have the funniest part in the show, but he is the anchor that all the right. funny revolves around. And so that to me, was super important to let him know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like Seinfeld. He's not the funniest one in the show, but he is the, he is the reason why all those other characters are there in all those situations. So definitely just, um, you know, just dig that and, and, and plus, you know, you're going to be able to flex all the other acting chops that you haven't been able to flex before, you know, and that 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 I think that's what's so great about it is people get to see him um, just go through all these different emotions. And people he, he said, like when when the, the trailer first dropped, he said he was getting uh, text from actors, he said, like from actors that he like totally admires and, and they were comment, yeah, complimenting. That's and, the best. Yeah, yeah. And he also said, like, um, people have, um, for the first time, instead of screaming out Winston for New Girl, they call out Keith. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Oh, that's great. Um, what is your involvement like during the writing and the shooting? Um, it was super involved, actually. I was in the writer's room. Um, I was on set. Um, I was writing up on, like, I was in every part of this. I approved, like, um, 
where we shot um, a lot of a lot of different things. I approved costuming. There was um, I, I so just, you approved all those cool dead Kennedys shirts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, man, everyone's talking about the music in this show, and it's wonderful. But the clothing, do you really dress that cool? Or was this like your dream, like they gave you a budget? You were like, okay, I'm going to dress these guys as cool as I wish I dressed. Yeah, well, there were a couple of things I actually took from the show. I didn't straight steal, but I was like, (laughs) man, that does look good. I'm going to start wearing that. But um, That's great. No, but, you know, the, the, the thing to me was, you always hear about people who sell stuff to um, Hollywood and then they have nothing to do with it. And then right. it comes out and, and they, they hate it and they, they get mad at Hollywood about it. And it's just like, I, I didn't want to do that. Like I wanted to make sure that if Hollywood was going to mess it up, I wanted to be directly responsible for, it. I wanted to be right there as it was getting wrecked. So Right. I could I could understand where it went wrong, you know, and so that was the the big thing to me was to, uh, to if it was gonna fail, it would be on me. That was that was it. And did you and the writers and the director uh, have any disagreements? Did you have any difficulty reaching uh, agreement in places? Oh, I think so. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I I think. The mixture of humor, of you know, t- talking objects, and um, and then the serious issues. I don't right. think I don't. It, it, it's it's not that easy to explain to people on paper, and um, so I, I think, like, you know, it, it for a while it was it it was hard to kind of get it down, and then once it started to to. I think we really started to, I, I, to me, like my, my favorite sort of the, 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 the show that I wanted it to be are seven and eight, which is, uh, the cubby episode and then the cop being triggered episode. Like those two, um, are like the satire is there. And, and then the serious issues are there. So And not taking turns. I mean, the, the, the scene where you are, I say you, <laughs> the scene where Keith is uh, having his little breakdown on the bus um, is so funny. And at the same time, so infuriating and heartbreaking because we've watched it happen, you know, where people can care so much about the koala bear <laughs> and, and it's like could you please care about your fellow humans this much yeah 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 no that was that you know that was the point and you know we shot it all before uh we shot it in february of 2020 so when when george floyd went down and everybody did start caring we right. were we were a little like you know it like I just remember emailing everybody going I think the whole season's gonna play out like over the <laughs> next month um, and so you know it was just important for us to just you know make sure um, we just it was important for us 
to make sure people didn't understand that that this show didn't come. We didn't make the show after George Floyd. You know what I mean? Right. So like we we were on the fence on whether we we should say that at the beginning of the show or not. But I think it was best not to. And um, and from there, like I, I, I just we know that racism is going to be evergreen. Racism and police brutality is going to be evergreen. So as this moment goes by uh, two years from now, five years from now, I think the show is still going to be relevant um, because we don't mention anything about George Floyd or specific, specific stuff. And I mean, even just last week, um, a uh, lemur got loose at the SF Zoo, and <laughs> so many people were writing us, going, "Oh my goodness, this is episode seven. All right, right. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of the the scene between you and I, I keep thinking of the character as you, which I'm sure is the idea. Uh, <laughs> but the the scene with the cop in the in the bar, the confrontation, and I yeah. don't I don't want to give any spoilers, but that was a jump up out of my seat, pump my fists in the air. Uh, holy shit <laughs> was it incredibly satisfying to get because I assume that didn't happen in real life and that it was kind of uh, living out a little bit of fantasy to get to yeah, how yeah. that acted out and yeah. to create that no and, and definitely and, and that's part of what having a, a comic strip an autobiographical comic strip is about too it's like you get to sort of I don't know something happens to you and you get to work through it through, you know, sort of this fantasy thing. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, it it was very cathartic. Um, but we were also under the gun. I mean, literally like, (laughs) I can't tell you like how much we wrote of, of that, of those last two, like in Vancouver. I mean, there was, um, a lot of, of, um, stuff that we had to do. We did a lot of rewriting and, and, and a lot of interesting stuff um, uh, right there. And just a credit to uh, the director, Mo Marable, and just the actors um, for being patient with us. And, you know, we were getting scripts into them really late in the game. So, <laughs> well, it, it shows. I think it plays as a scene that was really cared for and uh, that you put a lot into. Uh, really sums up the first season so well. I just really, I was impressed. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. I appreciate that. I was a little apprehensive going into watching it. And I, I wrote you when I was going to start it. <laughs> I think it's the sort of thing of like, this is something... This is someone whose work I have loved for such a long time. What if he blew it? <laughs> what if it doesn't work? Uh, nah. so it, was a, it was big relief to go in and have it be great. And now I hope that a lot of people go in the other direction who well, loved the show will go back and check out your comics. Yeah, and that's that has happened. I can't imagine. I can't tell you how many. Like I, I, I did not anticipate the amount of orders that I'd be getting. Um, Wonderful. Yeah, it's been sort of insane. My kids have been trying to help me keep up but uh, <laughs> I, I was I was pretty shocked um, but um, what was I gonna say oh oh it, it, it's so funny that like this seems to be a theme of mine which is it happened with the marginal profits too where <laughs> people would either see my band and see the show and they would sit there and go 
you know, it's way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I, it's it's nice to know that I can still. Um, <laughs> Well, it's kind of like Michael Jordan playing baseball, right? I mean, we don't expect someone to be good at two things. And, of course, he wasn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. No, no. It, it, it was um, – it, it's super gratifying, especially because I think the show is good in a very unexpected way. Like, like people don't exactly know what they were going to expect, but what – they certainly weren't going to, they certainly didn't expect what this was. I remember when the trailer first dropped, um, another cartoonist wrote to me and he said, he said, man, he said, the, the bar has been raised. Like ah. <laughs> I didn't, he said, I didn't know that it was going to look this good, but like every cartoonist that's going to get a deal, it's going to be like, I want it. I want it to look as good as Keith Knight show. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, will your evil twin sister be showing up in Woke? That's an interesting question. That is a very interesting question. I mean, we're hoping you get a season two. I'm asking that question, just assuming it's going to happen. Yeah, um, we definitely want to see sort of the story. Like, we want to get, like, so why is Keith like this? You know, like, we definitely want to explore that. So we're going to we're going we're gonna to find out a, a little bit of history about him and about the other characters too like yeah so you're saying this like it's a definite have i know is there no. a season two coming uh, no i'm just you know positive thinking yeah yeah we we hope that that happens you know <laughs> but um but yeah i mean we just want to be way more prepared <laughs> and we are we are way more prepared if we do get to go ahead for season two so um but yeah I just have so many ideas, you know, in this sort of post-George Floyd world, like how we can just totally take advantage of the situation that we're in. So, Uh, I want to wrap up because I think you have um, a terrible cuteness of being to get to soccer practice. Yes, yes. Um, What else do you have coming up that you want to uh, promote to us? You got any new books coming out? When will we see... Uh, I was a teenage Michael Jackson impersonator. It is, it's, it's, it, again, it's coming. It's, it's, you know, I'm working on it. Um, I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm no whole, pressure, man, just enthusiasm. Um, I know, I know, but it, it, it kills me. I like it. it um, now that, now that the um, show is out, you know, I have a little bit of time, you know, this is sort of that moment to take advantage of, um, because the press is now dying down a little bit um, to, you know, between now and a possible season two to, to, you know, get it done. And um, I also have a new think collection um, called it's the racism, stupid. Um, Great. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, that I'm still the, the graphic designers waiting for me to get that into. So I, okay. I've, I've been sort of <laughs> just behind on everything. But, you know, for the most part, if people want to, um, you know, stay on top of what I'm doing is to either follow me on Patreon um, under Keith Knight, uh, <laughs> the name of the character in the show, and uh, or just go to my website, kchronicles.com. And, uh, yeah. All right. And uh, the last thing, I, I started this podcast to share artists that I love 
with people. And I always like to ask the uh, artists if there's anyone that they would recommend our listeners check out. Any musicians, filmmakers, comic book artists who you are really enjoying lately? Um, oh, the pressure's on. You know, I mean, you named a couple during. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll let you off the hook if you <laughs> want us to go with that. I we know. Put this at the end so it's easy to edit out. <laughs> See, my problem. No, my problem is. Listen, if I love Questlove's, um, I forget what it's called, but he just DJs. He just DJs and stands there and, and then just tells stories about different artists that he's playing. And that, it's that's just, amazing. I I read his blog about his celebrity run-ins and it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. He's he's just a great storyteller. I I always say this. He should be he should be hosting the Tonight Show. Jimmy Kimmel <laughs> should just be the comedian that warms up the crowd. Like it's just the I I you know like that that you know that the. the the cheese ball comedian that warms up the crowd because right. <laughs> he he is so talented and so smart and funny and cool like Questlove it's it's it, it, it just drives me crazy and and it's it's all all like that like I, I it, you know it's probably a rant that will be in season two if I get a chance to which is all these sort of mediocre somewhat likable white late night hosts <laughs> then right. they're vastly more talented mu- musician black counterparts you know it's just like uh, and, and 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 maybe i'll create a fantasy world where they're you know and have the star in it it's just have, you know have jimmy of, fallon leading the band <laughs> yeah well yeah not even leading the band it's he's just keeping the audience warm i don't even think right, he's right. leading the band I'm sorry. I, should, I, I probably shouldn't be talking smack, but uh, you know, I, I, I listen. Did you see when they interviewed the Beastie Boys on on Zoom? So I it, did not. Questlove was like asking them amazing questions, and all Jimmy Kimmel was was looking for his Cookie Puss twelve inch and to show to the camera, going, right, "Look, right. look, I have Cookie Puss," and it's just like. Why? I love that you keep calling him Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, I don't know. Oh, white guys look alike to you, Keith. Is it Jimmy Fallon? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, it's perfect. I actually, yeah, yeah. I actually admire Jimmy Kimmel because he doesn't have like uh, like a more talented guy next right. to him, right? Doesn't he have – isn't it like um, – Who's I, I'm not even sure. I don't watch. <laughs> I see Kimmel when when clips come up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It's just I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. Um, uh, no, I love. If if you're not uh, more familiar with Questlove, uh, and also check out Roots. If you think that they're just uh, the band from the Tonight Show, oh my God! You, oh, they are the lot. hardest working band in show business. They so hardest great. Okay, I got to get my kid to soccer. Um, I thank appreciate you so it. much, man. It's been awesome talking with you. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. This is great. Okay, that was uh, that was so much fun. Keith was really great to talk to, uh, fascinating. I, I could have talked to him for another hour. I'm sorry that he had to go pick up his kid the un- or take his kid, the unbearable cuteness of being, to, uh, to soccer practice. Uh, I have been your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. The producer was Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer is jack matrenga uh, they are both with hyperpixel the music the original music at the beginning of the show was composed by dj real and uh the art was done by joe Honor. um i am super excited about our next 
episode, we've got uh, Andrea Jones-Roy, political scientist. Uh, she does Ask a Political Scientist weekly on YouTube. Uh, she is also a stand-up comedian and a circus performer. And I don't mean she puts on a little clown makeup and calls herself a circus performer. I mean that she's uh, one of those daring uh, young ladies on the flying trapeze. Uh, she's a aerialist, a contortionist. Uh, I don't know. She does all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, probably one of the most physically fit and crazy, intelligent, well-educated people I've ever met in my life. Just super intimidating to uh, to talk to her. Uh, we met when I was in Shanghai, where she was working as a professor. Um, <laughs> so this is going to be a really cool interview, especially now in the midst of this political season. So I hope that you will join us. Uh, like I've said before, definitely subscribe. We'd like to have you along for the ride. And uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, at Keith Lowell for me. You could follow the podcast at all those sites, uh, at KLJ Podcast. And that's a great way to find out what guests we have coming up and tell me what things you'd like for me to ask them and be a part of the conversation. All right. Until next time. Mwah.